What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, of all the very few days in which you're not on this pod, naturally, Sunday ended up being the day in which Ed O'Dron was fired. I want to dig into that more with you, and I want to play a little game on some candidates to replace Ed O'Dron. We've also got our usual picks, over-unders, for the four SEC games that don't include Arkansas Pine Bluff. And then we're going to end with a little rest-of-season edition of Bold and Brash. But first, Sunday night, we basically, Laura and I had everything pushed back in the day. That is what happens when an SEC coach gets fired. A little peel behind the onion here. When, when that happens, I see the news, I read the details of it, and then depending on when it comes down, I'll have to record a segment to put it at the top of the pod, or you know, like we did on Sunday. Basically, the second we get off recording the reunion pod, we find out that Ed O'Geron has been, has been let go, and he's gonna be gone at season's end. And then so we have to go record that. And then I always try and I have to write a column about it. So I'll end up trying to write the eulogy and kind of the immediate reaction to it instead of just instantly spinning it forward to who the candidates are going to be. But anyways, I say that because Sunday is always firing day and it is always catch up day in our household. It is not the the condiment. We don't I, I don't I'm not a catch up guy. Of course. Listen, if America loves it, Connor will find a way to be out on it. <laughs> oh, that's not true. Anti-ketchup? Come on now. No, 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 no. Uh, it is ketchup day in our household with just chores, uh, cooking, grocery shopping, whatever it is. So on Sunday night, Lauren and I wanted to whip up something pretty quickly, having had everything in the day pushed back. So we did breakfast for dinner. Got the bacon going. We had uh, we had bacon, egg and cheese, bagel sandwiches with some potatoes with potatoes O'Brien on the side. That's oh, yeah. basically just onions, peppers, and prepackaged kinds. Nothing too fancy or anything like that. Both Lauren and I took a couple bites of the potatoes and we're like, hey, you know, this, this is missing a little something right now. So I go to the fridge. I get the Texas Pete wing sauce. Little throwback to what I used to do back in college with buffalo sauce on breakfast breakfast potatoes, mm-hmm. and don't you know it, it? It is still a delicious combination, and it's actually even better with the Texas Pete wing sauce. That made all the difference right there. This is the perfect time of year to get yourself some Texas Pete. Not only because it's football season, but because right now for our listeners, you can go to texaspeat.com. You can get recipes, you can get t-shirts, you can get hats, you can get hot sauces by the box. And if you do that, you get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That's all caps, one word, Saturday Down South. All you gotta do, texaspeat.com, Saturday Down South. Sauce like you mean it. Will, we texted about your reaction, but as an LSU fan, what what surprised you the most about Ed O'Dron's firing? Because for me, it was hearing that he's gonna be coaching the remainder of the regular season. So they really did like, now, was it, was it Robert Dunder that Michael Scott brought in that was like the original founder of the company? He like brought in to teach them the lesson and just kind of like kicked them out at the end? Yeah, the old, uh, uh, it was it was ageism. That's what he was trying yeah, to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he at the end he just kind of like pushed him out the door. It's like, I I feel like that's like in a way what Coach O what they're doing with Coach O. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting. Like, 
they have this season that's going on, right? And it's obviously bad, um, but they want to still save his legacy as an LSU icon. That, I think that national championship, you know, has obviously done wonders for him. So if he didn't have that, let's say he had like, you know, an 11-1 season or something like that, lost to Alabama and, and just got out of the playoff, it would have been very different. But it's very funny that not only, right, is he finishing the season, but he has like these speaking engagements. Did you, did you see this? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> so it's been reported, I want to say it was in that Ross piece, that was like, he has a, a speaking engagement per year for LSU for the next four years. Okay, that that's not the craziest thing in the world because he's still going to be able to, he's still going to probably put on the best face for the program. He's not a guy that's going to sit there and try and find a way out of it. That actually isn't the crazy, that, that's a little bit awkward, but it's not totally crazy if you close your eyes and picture that happening three years from now. Like Mark Rick, if he was speaking on behalf of Georgia a few years after he was fired, Mark Rick's a different human being than Odron. I get that part. Right. But you would kind of look at that and be like, all right, you know, not incredibly surprising. Once, once time has passed a little bit, that's going to seem a little bit more like, hey, this is kind of, this isn't going to be as awkward as maybe some would think. It's it's just funny that like the slander of Coach O is kind of like he was like a walking mascot, like Mike the Tiger too. It's like they're literally putting it in there that he will be a mascot for LSU. I just think that's funny. I, I've never personally seen anything like it. Like I said, the, the finishing of the season is one thing, but they really wanted to make it seem like this is a mutual parting of ways. He's happy. We're not kicking him out of here. And like, hey. Handshake. Exactly. Like credit to Scott Woodward and everybody else and that board of directors uh, whose wife was hit on for trying to be nice and <laughs> try to try to keep it together and not make this a big public you know snafu i got a little game for you okay it's it's called ya or nah which is not yay or nay <laughs> the, let the record show these are two totally different things okay Pretty simple game though I'm going to bring up a candidate, and I'm not asking you whether you think they could get the job, because Lord knows these things are out of both of our hands, and Scott Woodward is going to do what Scott Woodward wants to do. Again, this is the guy who makes bigger splashes than Ham Porter from Sandlot. So <laughs> I'm simply going to ask you, Will, as an LSU fan, what your reaction would be if you hopped off this call with me and saw Ross Dellinger, or Bruce Feldman, or somebody like that reporting that this person is going to be LSU's next Head coach. Does that work? Cool. Perfect. All right. First one. Yah or nah? Uh, James Franklin. Let's see. Sorry, I had I had to switch that in my mind because that's this, the first one's the only one I read first. Okay, boom. So I'm going to go meh. I, I'm going to go more nah than yah. I'm going to go nah. Hard yeah. nah. I see that situation torpedoing if he gets that job, which I don't know that he would leave his home state school for LSU other than to take a take a little vacation to New Orleans. But I think that James Franklin in that role at LSU with how sensitive he has been in the past when it comes to negative recruiting, when it comes to questioning his decision making in game, ask Penn State fans about James Franklin in close games. It's a train wreck. <laughs> it is really, really bad. He's going to find a way to lose a football game. And getting questioned like that, he has not responded well to that. Dude gets questioned about his team faking injuries and he's got a five minute written statement about it. Mm -hmm. All right, like this is, this is not the personality type that I think would work in a job that faces that type of scrutiny. And I, I, I just think that would be a bad fit. I think he's a good coach. I think he'd be a better fit at USC. LSU, that'd be enough for me. 
Well, you're just nodding your head politely. You don't have any thoughts on that? I, I agree. I really thought you'd be more in on him, honestly. I don't like him at all. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Let's move on to the next one. Mel Tucker. Yeah. Okay. I agree with you. And if you had asked me a year ago, hard nah. Hard nah. What he has done this year at Michigan State, they have, I believe it's 40 guys in the last two years that he has recruited from the transfer portal that are on that roster, including Kenneth Walker, who's a, one of the Heisman Trophy favorites right now, the tailback from Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Mel Tucker is respected within the SEC, having worked with Nick Saban, having worked with Kirby Smart. He's worked at the NFL level, so he gets that aspect of it. They love that guy in East Lansing right now. And it ain't just because he's 7-0. He's got a swag about him. He does the cigar stuff. He would be welcome with open arms, I think, in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And this is, so this, is, this isn't everything, but this is part of the discussion. LSU having a black football coach for the first time and how that would resonate with recruits and having the ability to put someone out there who Mel Tucker, like, everybody loves that guy. From a player's first standpoint, I think that would matter at a place like LSU. And right now in the SEC, you know, say what you want about diversity, there's not a black head coach in the SEC. Mm -hmm. You're trying to differentiate yourself and it's a very qualified guy, a respected defensive mind. He wouldn't just be getting this job because the color of his skin. But if I look at those factors and I say, hey, Mel Tucker's got a ton of stuff working in his favor right now. He went from being the guy that I thought Michigan State reached for at an odd time during the coaching cycle when they basically let Mark D'Antonio take that stupid, ridiculous bonus. And then he's like, ah, you know what? I've kind of run out of gas here. Oh, interesting. Thanks, Mark. Oh, and then finesse Hall of Fame. Hire. Finesse oh Hall of Fame. Can't even be mad about it. It's like, oh, how, many, how much money was it? I, uh, what was the bonus? It was in the millions. I was about to say, it was millions of dollars. Like, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Four million bucks. It was, yeah. it was an uncomfortable amount of money for a guy to get his job when, quite frankly, if Mark D'Antonio had done the things that he had done in the SEC, he would have been out of a job earlier. So oh, yes. take that for what it is. Mel Tucker inherited a bad situation in Michigan State, and he has turned it around in a hurry. So I'm, I'm team yah on Mel Tucker, and I, I have changed my stance on him in the last couple of years because I have like these, my brother reminded me of this. I have like these, these, these memories from a few years back as a Bears fan of my dad being so frustrated with Mel Tucker as a defensive coordinator <laughs> that I've since moved on from that. It took a little bit, but now I'm at a place where I think he's great for the college game and I think he'd be great at LSU. I'll say real quick on, on Mel Tucker. I think it's almost... I'm not saying you. I'm not saying you did this, but especially with the SEC mindset, I think it's almost disrespectful to mention him like a minority hire because I do think he's among the most qualified people in this. Yes, let the record in, in show. This, that, yeah, that is yes. That and is you, and you, no, no, you didn't do that. You, it is a big deal. Those two things can exist separately. But I think that you know with the the message board SEC fan, the people that thinks, oh, like I don't the optics. I don't want the optics to be, oh, well, we, we wanted Lane Kiv, we ended up with this guy. It's, you know, no, 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 no. He is a guy that regardless of everything else, he could be white, Hispanic, whatever. He is an incredible coach, and I'm, yep. I would be pumped. No doubt. I, I, yeah, I think he'd be a great fit. I really do. And, and I think, you know, it, it's not just about getting PR points or whatever. Right. It's the SEC. You know, if, if you can't coach, you're not going to last here. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, purple. It, it, it doesn't matter. But I, I do think that that's something that – absolutely could matter in the recruiting world. And if you're LSU and you're trying to differentiate yourself to a certain extent, I think that would be uh, an interesting element to this entire discussion, though 
there are other things that are more important than that. All right, yeah or nah, Joe Brady? Nah. Man, we're on the same page right now. We, we are very much on the same page. I thought about this a lot, and I, and I talked about this in the video that I did about LSU not chasing 2019 and why I think that that's, that's dangerous. And chasing national championships is different than chasing 2019. LSU has chased national championships in the past, but what would worry me about Joe Brady is everything's gonna be all 2019. Mm -hmm. You gotta recreate the offense that you had in 2019. You gotta find your next Joe Burrow. You gotta find your next Jamar Chase, your next Justin Jefferson, your next Clyde Eversolaire. I don't like that. I, I, and I don't like that for Joe Brady, who as many people are pointing out by the time that they're listening to this, we don't even know what Joe Brady wants. Right. So Joe Brady, as somebody who has one year of on-field assistant experience, and it was that magical 2019 season at LSU, but we don't know how he can manage a staff. We don't know how he can manage being a CEO of a program, which again, that's not to say that the hire can't work. It's that it's a way, way riskier hire than some would think. And if he's going to become an NFL head coach, and if that's part of the equation, then you're gonna end up having to pay a lot of money for a guy that really hasn't had to develop talent before. He, his scheme worked and it worked at historically good levels, but I would be awfully worried if I'm an LSU fan, if Joe Brady is the guy, because I think that would just be such a big risk. He, okay, so we've talked about this. This is one of my favorite points that we made on here is recruiting versus scheme. And what that turns into is essentially like Kirby versus Mullen, where it's like, would you rather have a ton of five stars and be like a pretty good scheme guy? or you know, be a great scheme guy and have like okay talent. And Joe Brady, from everything I've heard, didn't really fall in love with the recruiting aspect of being at LSU. And at the end of the day, if you're gonna win at LSU, we've seen LSU underachieve with great talent, but I'll tell you what they can't do is underachieve with average talent because that would send them free falling. And at the end of the day, we've seen the absolute worst case scenario that LSU can be is pretty much right now. But if we get a guy in there who was, I mean, and I, I, I'm very thankful to Joe Brady. I think he was a great coach in his role, but you gotta think, you know, Coach E was really in charge of game planning. And Brady came in and, and kind of did a little bit of the razzle-dazzle stuff. Now as an NFL OC, you kind of start to see a little bit of those cracks as far as two-minute offense and, how, you know, managing timeouts and doing things like that where, you know, he he's just his age. You know what I'm saying? He's he's a, a whiz kid for his age. But to ask a guy to come in and learn how to do 10 things at once for the first time just doesn't make a lot of sense at a place like LSU. He's my school year, I'm pretty sure. Like, I could have been in the same Jeez. Which is just a, a weird thought. And say what you will about that. If he had been in a college game for seven, eight years, that's one thing. Exactly. And I'm not one of these people that's going to sit here and tell you that you need to be a coordinator at this level or a head coach at this level. But it's more so the fact that, look, if we're going to talk about Sam Pittman or Ed Ogeron and, and they're not having that, that background, Shane Beamer is another one where they, they weren't coordinators, they weren't head coaches. Previously. Shane Beamer was a coordinator of everything. That dude was a roofer. He was doing <laughs> he was doing the stadium grass. He did too many things. Those guys had more than it. You know, those guys are college football lifers. They've mm -hmm. been in those locker rooms. They, they've been in those recruiting meetings. They love that stuff. Joe Brady, that, that's just different. That's a wild card. So that's that's why I would lean nah on him, as exciting as and splashy as that would be. All right, Mario Cristobal, yeah, yeah. Nah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> I like, this is a tough one for me. This is a tough one because on the surface, if you just tell me without any mention of anything whatsoever, Mario Cristobal is going to be the next coach of LSU football, I'd probably say, wow, good for Scott Woodward for doing that. 
that, mm-hmm. that is a tip of the cap. That is somebody who I think is one of the, the better coaches in the country, has figured some things out at Oregon, a place that is by no means a, a, um, a ready-made job. If, if you kind of get what I'm saying, like it's it's a little bit different recruiting up there, even though they have all the Nike stuff working in their favor, it's just not as as like plug and chug as, as some might assume. Mm-hmm. What would worry me about this is if you're getting Mario Cristobal as your head coach, you're probably having to beat out USC and you're probably having to beat out his alma mater, Miami, which uh, I'm gonna assume that Manny Diaz is not gonna be there for long. So. You're competing against two programs, and Miami doesn't have the funds, probably, but it's the sentimental value that's going to drive that price up for LSU. And if I'm thinking to myself, you know, this guy's had one top 25 finish, and it was with Justin Herbert. Are we sure that he would be worth 10 to $11 million a year? Because that's probably what you would have to pay for him, because I think USC is probably going to end up trying to break the bank to get him. That's mm-hmm. that's like my that's been my take since the USC job came open is that they're going to go after Mario Cristobal. That would be an awful lot of money to spend on a guy that is a good head coach. But can we like wait and see what it's like without Justin Herbert? Because right. they're, they're, they're having a nice season. It's been a little bit of a rough go. My guy Joe has been dealing with some health issues, so it's been <laughs> a little bit touch and go with the offense. What but, if I told you he's bringing mm. Joe Moorhead? Are you now in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking twice about it. I am. I am. I absolutely am. But that's just something that's worth remembering with some of these candidates is that if Scott Woodward is going to make this ham porter size splash, the money that goes into it, you're going to be tied to this coach. You know, he's really going to have to probably work if you're going to make an investment like that. It's like it's like a diet version of the Jimbo situation. It's like, well, this guy is probably a fine coach, but if you have to give him this huge amount of money that Correct. you're not going to be able to get out from under and it doesn't work, you're handicapping the next coaching search for a guy that's not like, you know, like urban Saban level guy that you know is going to work. Like it's possible that that deal just goes south on you and you're just screwed. All right, let's do the two names that you just brought up there. Oh, we'll whoops. First, we'll first do Jimbo. Yeah or no? <laughs> um, yeah. I am stunned to hear you say that. I'm absolutely stunned. I thought for sure of anybody that I was going to bring up. Well, maybe with the exception of Urban. We're now on Urban. Like, uh, that's, right, yeah, 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 that yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Besides Urban, I thought that was the one that you were going to shoot down for the exact point that you just brought up, the financial aspect of it. And I don't think Jimbo's going to LSU. I think the situation that he is right now at Texas A&M is significantly different than the situation he left and wanted to leave at Florida State, or if you've read all of those pieces, Andrew Adelson's written about it like a hundred different times about how all the failures of Florida State and the lack of funding for the new facilities and all of those different things. If you read about that and then compare it to what he has right now at A&M, which is essentially a blank check to do whatever the hell he wants, and he's got ranches. Bro's got ranches. But Connor, they have a cemetery where they bury the sod behind a glass. So, six of one, half a dozen of the other, some would say. Exactly. So that, that that's why I'd be more in the nah camp because of what it would take to get him. Do I think Jimbo Fisher, who has had one top seven season and zero top ten offenses since Jameis Winston at Florida State, do I want to give that guy? Well, it would probably be eleven million dollars a year. I mean, realistically, because he's making. 
10 years, 91, 92 million dollars, whatever it is, and you would have to come over the top. You can't just offer the same exact contract and be like, oh yeah, come to LSU. Just wouldn't work like that. So I'll say this. Um, the floor on Jumbo, I think, is a little bit higher if he's bought in and invested, because that means that he's, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, number one, but that means he is totally just shooting the bird A&M and coming to LSU, and that means that we are getting, like, bought in Jimbo Fisher, which is way different than FSU Jimbo Fisher, and that's a guy who I feel a little bit better about, because, like, my fear as an LSU fan, obviously, is that, you know, the Saban thing happened, we kind of, like, I hate to say lucked into less miles, but who could have predicted how any of that would have gone? Then the Coach O thing, same thing, and so, like, these coaching searches have been kind of wild. With the Jimbo thing, it's like, well, you know your worst case scenario is like eight wins in the West. And and like I'm a person who is roasted A and M for never winning the division. They just beat Alabama despite our best guesses. I understand that, but at the same time, it's like if if we go through this coaching search and we end up with Jimbo Fisher, I'm not upset. You see what I'm saying? Okay, okay. that's fair. That's fair. I could um, be upset with Mario Cristobal because at least with Jimbo, I know that that's the floor in the SEC. I've seen him do it in the SEC. I've seen him develop these quarterbacks and recruit. Cristobal could come over here and win four games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. And it's it's also a fair point to bring up. If I'm going to talk about what a coach's value actually is, it, if he's making $500,000 more than you're comfortable with and he wins you an ICC championship, nobody's gonna care about that money. That money right. is irrelevant. So that, that's, that's context that's worth remembering and if there's an argument against what I'm saying, that's, that's definitely it. Let's get to an automatic yaw for you. I know this is already a yaw, I don't even have to ask it, but Lane. Oh yeah. Hard yaw. Hard yaw, the biggest of yaws. The yawest yaw one can ever yaw is Lane. I, if, I, if I am Scott Woodward, that, that is where I'm going, number one. That is 100% the guy that I am pursuing. And I am saying, turn this down. Turn this contract down. Because as we always bring up, contracts in the state of Mississippi cannot be longer than four years. People forget. That's like the, the meme of the guy at the party. It's like, <laughs> they don't know that the highest amount of years you could have as a state employee in Mississippi is four. <laughs> People need not forget that. And if you're looking at that situation, you're saying, how do I come over the top? Because you know that Keith Carter is going to want to give Lane Kiffin a raise. You don't know what Lane Kiffin wants to do four years from now. You don't know if he's holding out hope that he's going to replace Saban. What in the world is going on in the mind of Lane? But he would be a bad want... hire for Alabama, I think. I think that LSU culturally is exactly where he needs to be, just like Mississippi. I think Alabama would be a terrible hire for him. I think that those boosters and that culture over there of being – you know, there's a, I've lived in both places. I'm not saying this is a guess. There's a little bit more of an air in Alabama, a little bit of seriousness, a little bit, of, whereas Louisiana, Mississippi, especially Ole Miss are very like avant-garde. And Alabama, the bristly, fun lane stuff, people hated that when he was there, just to be honest. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah, culturally, I, I agree with you 100%. He would be embraced more. I don't know if Lane would ever leave Ole Miss. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not assuming that I, that I know the answer to that question. What I what I do think is, is very intriguing is that if Scott Woodward were to go to Lane and say, look, 10 years, 100 million bucks, come to LSU, be the guy, run this thing. There is no coach that I would rather have right now if I'm an LSU fan than Lane Kiffin. Contrary to what Michael Wilbon said. Yeah. All right, um, let's run through a couple of these, these last ones here. Billy Napier, yeah or no? Man, that's a guy that feels like you ended up, you ended up at the coaching center and just didn't know what you were doing. I'm gonna say nah. I'm going to say nah because the point you just brought up, and it's not to say that he couldn't succeed. And we had John Talty on last week, and he was saying how Billy Napier actually 
you know, probably could do some really good things at, at LSU. And I, I agree with that. I really do. Um, I, I don't think it'll happen because I don't think that this hire that Scott Woodward has been waiting to make as an LSU graduate who grew up in Baton Rouge, I don't think that he's going to go hire the coach from Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah. Sorry, whatever you want to call him this day and age, if you, if you just call him Louisiana. <laughs> University, but you will be getting yeah. an email from a PR yeah. person. <laughs> As we know. I, with all due respect to Billy Napier, I, don't, I, I can't see that quite happening unless that he just falls in love with him, in which case we'll find out a whole lot more about that element and who was apparently offered the job and didn't get it. Um, two more, two more to get you out on. Mark Stoops, yeah or no? Nah. nah. Did you say nah? Nah. Interesting. Do tell. I love Mark Stoops. I think he's doing a great job at Kentucky. I, I, I don't necessarily think that's his ceiling, but I want him to figure that out somewhere else before he goes to LSU. I, like I said, I think that winning in the West is so about recruiting, and, and, and like I'm so in on him and everything he's done. I love Mark Stoops. I just want to say that again. I don't think he even gets the leash he's gotten at Kentucky in the West. I think even if he goes to a place like Mississippi State, he's not allowed to figure it out in the way that he is in the West. Knowing what we would be paying him to make him come to LSU, there's kind of a learning curve for the style of football he plays, and I don't think that's the style of football that can win you an SEC West championship. We don't even really think he can win you an SEC East championship, and I think he's a great coach. I'm, I'm pumped about everything he's done, but you can't get a bunch of dudes from Youngstown to Baton Rouge well, and okay, beat Alabama. So- that's a fair point. That's an absolutely fair point. And I love Stoops, and I would be yah in this argument because the recruiting point, he would change his recruiting identity. He wouldn't just try and get the Youngstown guys. Now, would that all of a sudden change who he is as a head coach? And we've talked about Dan Mullen in dealing with a different type of recruit at Florida as opposed to the one that he dealt with at Mississippi State. Well, he's getting the same recruit to Florida. All right. he's, getting, he's, getting, he's getting different recruits. He wasn't getting. I would like to see him. He was not getting an Anthony Richardson at Mississippi State. All right, let the record show that that was not happening. He was not getting Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was not Anthony Richardson as an underclassman. Okay, we can we can say that. What I think is interesting with Stoops, the regionality of it. I think he would change his identity in that way to a certain extent. I think there's this belief that with Ed Odron that you now have to have these Louisiana ties. I really don't think you do. I think Saban and Miles show that you don't. Mm-hmm. Because neither of them had any real roots in the South before they got that LSU job and then recruited their tails off within the state, across the Southeast. The LSU football coach is always going to be able to recruit. Mm-hmm. Always. And I don't necessarily think that it's the same sort of thing that like Florida is where that is a, a, a recruiting ground that everybody has already come in and tried to, to plant their flag. Mm-hmm. In Louisiana, it's different. It just is. And the talent is still absolutely there in that state, not to the level that Florida is, but a very high level of talent is concentrated in Louisiana. Mark Stoops would be able to tap into that. And I think his blue collar attitude would actually resonate really well with that people. You can question what the season would, what the ceiling would look like, but I think he'd absolutely elevate that floor. And if you get him to elevate that floor there and the floor that Ed O'Dron couldn't reach the last two years, and that's what frustrated so many fans, I think he's automatic eight, eight, nine wins there. And then you just kind of wait and see what his upside is. We don't know what his upside is yet as a coach because you're never going to see that at Kentucky. 
You're never right. going to see him compete for a national title at Kentucky. But you see, that's, that's kind of the problem, though, is like, look at what's in the West. I mean, Sam Pittman's just kind of a version of Mark Stoops, right? So you look at the top and you got Saban, you got Jimbo who's knocking on the door, right? Then you get Pittman and Lane who are like kind of right there. And it's like, for Stoops to jump all of those guys, like, and like I said, I love Stoops. I think that his identity and his brand is perfect for where it is. I can see him maybe going to a Penn State and being great there as that team right below Ohio State. But when you talk about guys that have made, you know, Jimbo and, and, and Lane, these guys that have trenched out this ground right under Alabama, waiting for Saban to retire or do whatever he's gonna do, it's like, I don't feel great going into war with Mark Stoops, knowing that he's gonna change how, he's, how he recruits, change the offense he runs, mm. change yeah. pretty much everything about his team. And like I said, I love him as a coach. I just, the SEC West is such an arms race, and you already almost kind of have a guy filling that need in Pittman. And for the record, Kentucky fans who are listening to this saying, oh my God, Mark Stoops, you, you really think he's gonna leave Kentucky for LSU? If I'm betting, probably not. Probably not. If I was Mark Stoops, I wouldn't. Like, just to be honest with you, I don't care what the money is. I would stay if I was him exactly where he is because that fan base is perfect for him. That job is perfect for him. He he has now got them on this track that I don't know why you'd even leave it to, to go fight for eight or nine wins in the West. If Mark Stoops wins seven games in a year, he gets a year automatically added on to the end of his contract. All right. His is that like a fact? Is, Hold on. No, that's a that's a real fact. That is in his contract. He has bonuses for beating Florida, for getting to a bowl game, for winning to a bowl game. He's got a very incentive-laden contract that is super favorable. And he's worked with the same boss his entire time he's been there, Mitch Barnhart. And there are not a whole lot of college football coaches who have been at their jobs for nearly a decade that have that working in their favor. His contract, Andy Staples wrote, I think it was two years ago, like, does Mark Stoops have the best job in college football? Relative to fan expectations, yeah. relative to pay, relative to who your boss is, and what exactly are the factors working against you? Could be a whole lot worse. And I, if I'm guessing, yes, Mark Stoops will be at Kentucky. He'll get himself a nice, sizable raise after this season. All right, let's do one more. Matt Campbell, yeah or not? <sighs> nah. Is it for the same reasons that you brought up with Stoops? I just, to be honest with you, he's just too unproven, man. I, like, I get it, and I can respect what he's done, but at the same time, like, like okay, so we got to reset the deck of, and that, that's why I was more in on, like, a Cristobal or a Jimbo than some of these guys that I hate to call them lower-tier guys, but they're going to be lower-dollar guys. Because at the end of the day, if you're Scott Woodward and your brand is, I'm going to go get a big fish, and you end up here, it's like who how many people told you no you know what i'm saying and, and not to not to jump on him but like you kind of see how this season has gone for them and it's like i don't have the confidence to know like i said what's the floor can you win in the west i have no idea and if that happened after coach o i would kind of be thinking to myself like uh where where are we at as a program that camera would be fascinating because the regionality not there definitely not there everybody's kind of speculated it's nfl or it's big time job in the midwest could he one day take over at a place like Michigan for Jim Harbaugh, something like that? Um, I, I don't know. I, I do think that he's phenomenal and he's become one of the best coaches in the country, despite the fact that this season was disappointing. And I've actually got a little teaser for later, a little more Iowa State talk to come. Um, but I think that he probably wouldn't be the first choice, even though he has done things in Ames that you didn't ever think could be done but he has found a way to make them at least relevant from a national standpoint. I know that they're not ranked right now, but they have, he has elevated that floor. So I don't think he'll get that job. I, I think that Scott Woodward would probably look somewhere else given his track record, but that would be very interesting. 
I'm, I'm doubling down on this one. He's 39 and 30 at Iowa State. He's finished ranked once. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. No, 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 no. He has finished ranked once in his coaching career. That's okay. And it was during a COVID season. If you he realize, gets hired as the LSU coach, I'm going to be upset. That's, I'm digging it on that. Don't do the, the, the record thing because at LSU, that's valued in a much different way than taking over the program that he inherited at Iowa State. That is, that is something that I hate it when that gets brought up and says like, oh, this coach isn't blah, blah, blah. Like you could do the same thing with Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops, because the first four years at Kentucky, yeah, it took a long time. What he inherited from Joker Phillips was bad. They were a disaster. But we shouldn't look at Mark Stoops' overall record and be like, ah, oh, you know, he's an average coach then. You know? I, I get it, but I'm saying like, he's finished ranked once, man. Like to bring that to Baton Rouge and to think, LSU is jockeying with all these other teams. Like I keep saying, it's like the big, the, the nightmare is you go back. You know what I'm saying? Because no one's expecting 2019. We can expect 2018. I feel like that's a pretty fair expectation. Lose to Alabama, Florida, get to the Fiesta Bowl, win that. That's fine. He's done something like that kind of once. And it was yeah, during... They've, they've had like three ranked seasons in program history. Okay, I get that, but like you know how I feel about the COVID season, man. I don't really think yeah, any of it right, counts. Right, so like, right. if you're gonna take your one good year, like if that year had even been 2019, or like you know that was a pretty standard American football season, I can feel pretty good about that. But it's like, man, come on now, like y'all saw that season. Like Ohio State won like two games and they got to the championship. Come on now. Not to be confused with European football season. We, we don't want to cross paths there. <laughs> Fair, um, you know. <laughs> I wonder how much Arch Manning factors into this. And uh, if he's going to be something that Scott Woodward has in the back of his mind going through the search as crazy as it would be to factor in a high school junior when it comes to hiring a new coach, probably wouldn't. But you just kind of never know with some of these things. So uh, we'll have a lot more discussion about the LSU head coaching vacancy. Let's go to some week eight SEC games. Um, I don't, I don't want to poo-poo this slate too much. And if you're, you know, getting <laughs> you eight minutes of the podcast, whatever you are right now, um, it, there's a reason that we've, we've <laughs> delayed talking about some of these games. It is pumpkin patch Saturday. It really is. I don't mean you waste an entire Saturday picking up something that squirrels are going to eat in a matter of days. Not saying do that. But Saturday slate is the type that maybe bank some bonus points with a significant other. You tell them, hey. Let's do something fun early Saturday afternoon. Hey, listen, this isn't a football podcast. This is a life podcast, folks. And you're giving me some ideas here. This is actually, I'm looking at this slate and you got, you got, you're making some points, Connor. They don't, your significant other, they can do their own research and maybe they'll figure out that the only noon SEC game is Arkansas Pine Bluff against Arkansas at one Memorial Stadium. Um... It's bad. The noon slate across college football. We've been spoiled the last few weeks with the noon slates. The, the noon slates have been awesome. But yeah, other than maybe like turning on Caleb Williams to torch Kansas, um, I, I don't know. I can't stomach Northwestern punt every third play against Michigan. I, I don't, I'm not crazy about that. So I'm, Wow, I'm how times it. have changed. I know, right? Like That used to be the O'Gara brand. Now you're eating hot sauce and you hate punts. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Pumpkin patch Saturday. Just make sure that you're back by 3.30, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. You know, no, no, nothing wrong with that because LSU Ole Miss suddenly really intriguing. Let's start right there. Ole Miss, nine-point favorite. The over-under I have is 4.5 John Rice Plumley pass attempts. That's a, that's a throwback, Will. Um, 
Matt Corral is questionable for this game, which is a shame for him because no Power 5 team has allowed more passing touchdowns than LSU, as we talked about the other day. The picture that surfaced with all those LSU defenders on the scooters in the end zone, that's essentially the LSU secondary. Scooter um, gang. Yeah, it's, it, it's not, not great. Uh, I, I wouldn't be stunned if Matt Corral missed this game. I know I said that he's like a piece of iron, but he is a valuable piece of iron for Ole Miss. And maybe, just maybe, Ole Miss and Link Kiffin feel like they can feel they can win this game without him. Who knows? Um, I don't know if Braylon Sanders is going to be back. Hopefully he is. If Corral cannot go, one would think that true freshman Luke Altmeyer is going to get his first career start. I get why Lane would do that. But the world needs one more game of John Rice Plumley quarterback. Will, you watch true freshman John Rice Plumley torch LSU's national championship winning defense a few years ago. You know, it's you know, great. It's like my dumb caveman brain. Like, all I knew was Matt Corral questionable. And I thought this was good news. And then you said John Rice Plumley. And I went, uh-oh. <laughs> this could be yeah. worse. <laughs> I've seen this guy do bad be. bad things to a good defense. He's going to, if he gets in there, it's going to be toast against these linebackers. I watched the, it's like a two-minute clip, I think, that SEC Network has. I'll watch it every three months just to remind myself of how good John Rice Plumley was in 2019 as a runner mm-hmm. and some of the things that he could do. I hope we see some sort of John Rice Plumley package in this game. I, I'm not crazy optimistic. The usage hasn't quite been there, but we'll kind of wait and see with that. I think if he does, if he does get the start, then he's going to get a ton of rushing yards against this LSU defense. But again, probably not. The question we're about to get answered from the LSU side is if the Tigers are going to be full-blown interim coach-o mode. That's what this week's going to tell us. Because apparently, they were already in that mode last week, and we yeah. just didn't know it. <laughs> just, that's the crazy thing. Ed O'Tron knew he was fired, and maybe his team did too. And they, they, they had one of those types of games against Florida. They're just no rhyme or reason type of performance, and then they pulled it out. If they are able to win at Ole Miss, that would be a, another thing like that because if they are in that mode, Ole Miss is in trouble. Ty, Ty Davis-Price, maybe he breaks his own record from last week and the Ole Miss defense is going to be on its heels all game. This came up on the broadcast with Tom and Jordan and it we're going in both directions with Ole Miss here, both sides of the spectrum. Does Ole Miss have a playoff path? Um, I don't think you could rule out any one-loss Power 5 team yet but Ole Miss might be favored in all of its remaining games. At Auburn, um, Halloween weekend is going to be a major test. Could Ole Miss potentially follow the A&M path to get to the playoff discussion? Again, A&M didn't make the playoff last year, but they were sitting there at number five. I thought they had a really good argument to make the playoff after Notre Dame got clobbered by Clemson in the ACC championship. So they would essentially be winning out after losing to Alabama, just like A&M did last year. But Bama would then have to get crushed in the SEC championship for that second loss. Otherwise, Bama blocks the path to the playoff. Otherwise, everybody's just going to say, well, we already saw Ole Miss lose significantly to Bama. It's a little bit different if Bama's lost two games after that Ole Miss game early in the season and Ole Miss has just won out. So there's that. And I'm going to assume that Bama's not losing another regular season game. It actually might be better for Ole Miss to not get to the SEC championship to face Georgia. But so there's that. Cincinnati would also have to lose. And here's why. There's no way 
the selection committee would have two SEC teams, a group of five team, and another power five team as the field of four, because that would leave out three power five champs. Not gonna happen, just not. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that, that's a key part of this. And then I, I mapped this out as well. There is a way in which Auburn, A&M, and Arkansas can all finish 8-4 and four and sneak into the top 25. Ole Miss needs quality wins. They're not going to have that big marquee win because they didn't capitalize against Alabama. And Louisville is not going to end up anything better than probably like 8-4 and four if they get hot at the end of the season. And maybe they could sneak into the top 25 as well. But that's at least the path to be in the discussion on Selection Sunday. But lose this weekend, none of that matters. Now, hold on. If OU loses, as bad as they've played at times this year, I can see, because that, that's the team that matters to me. Because at the end of the day, listen, a loss to Alabama, who among us wouldn't lose to Alabama? You know, other than Jimbo, apparently, after losing to Mike Leach. But anyway, like, who, that, like I just, at this point, at this point of the saving thing, I just don't think, even though they got doubled up, I know it was a blowout loss, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so Ohio State, I mean, there's just, I, maybe Michigan beats them, probably not though, but at the end of the day, it's like, let's say Michigan, let's say Ohio State beats Michigan like they have for the last, my entire life. Uh, let's say Ohio State beats Michigan and their loss is to um, Oregon at home, right? Is that really a better loss than losing to Alabama? Like, I, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, so you have Ohio State who is, I'm not gonna hurt your feelings and say beating nobody, but it's not an SEC West schedule. And I don't know, man. I mean, I get that Ohio State has benefited from the playoff committee before, but if like Oklahoma is the one that needs to lose to me, because if you're looking at the end of the year and it's okay, if Alabama, well, but then you gotta think about Georgia too. I guess if Alabama beats Georgia, then do they want another shot of that? I, I don't think they're out of it, but here's the thing about this year, man. Hey. <laughs> right, that, so that's, that's part of it, is that we've already seen chaos happen. It's at least just worth keeping in the back of your mind. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, those are the biggest things that I'm looking for. And then I'll kind of figure everything else out. I didn't want to get into the weeds too much of like, oh, this one lost power five conference champ versus this one. That was the simplest path I could see for Ole Miss to at least have a case. Have a case to where we're sitting down on Selection Sunday, we're doing the side-by-side, -side, we're comparing their quality wins, and we're saying, does this 11-1 team who only has one loss to Alabama deserve to get into the field? If you're Ole Miss, that's all you can hope for. Right. That's all you can hope for at this point. So it's at least a discussion. Mississippi State, 21 and a half point favorite against Vandy. The over-under I have is 29 and a half Mississippi State points. Why, Will, do I have that number? Hmm, seems rather odd, 29 and a half. Of course, I have a reason. I always have a reason. MSU is yet to hit 30 points against a power five defense this year. Oh boy. Against, against Louisiana Tech, they hit that mark, but it was only after falling behind 34 to 14 in the fourth quarter. So that's part of the problem. Against power five competition this year, if you take away non-offensive touchdowns and safeties, which you should, if we're talking right. about points per game, Mississippi State's offense is averaging 18.8 .8 points per game. There has not really been that year two leech bump that we expected. Now, I, I think Will Rogers looks better. I think they have figured out some, some certain things in the passing game. He has been more efficient in that regard. But here's a question that's worth asking. Are we sure that Mississippi State gets to a bowl game? And I got the remaining schedule, so don't worry. Will, I, I saw your eyes go. I know exactly what you're doing there. The remaining schedule to get three more wins out of this. At Vandy, home against number 15, Kentucky. 
at Arkansas, at number 19 Auburn, home against Tennessee, shout out to Eddie George, and then home in the Egg Bowl, number 12 Ole Miss. Will, you gave me a quizzical look when I brought up that Eddie George was the coach at Tennessee State. Oh, 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 I thought you said Tennessee. Oh, did I just say Tennessee? I was oh, I so confused State. about why. Okay, continue. My bad. Yes. So out of those those five games, Vandy, Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee State, Ole Miss, the only two in which they will undoubtedly be favored this weekend against Vandy and then the game against Tennessee State. Otherwise, you're going to have to beat one of these four teams. Kentucky, that's at home, Arkansas on the road, Auburn on the road, or home against Ole Miss. There's no guarantee that they're getting to six and six. There's just not. And I don't know if, if, if Will Rogers' health, we'll wait and kind of see what that is. Um, but man, I just kind of look at that. And if they don't get to a bowl game and if they're five and seven, does John Cohen fire another coach after two years? I don't think so because of what it took to get Mike Leach to Mississippi State and paying him $5 million a year. But Leach would be nine and fourteen overall, and five and thirteen in SEC play. In SEC play, if he finished with a five and seven record this year, Cohen fired Moorhead for being fourteen and twelve and seven and nine in SEC play. And don't tell me that Willie Gay punching Garrett Trader was the it's only reason bad. that Joe Moorhead got the boot. <laughs> that is not. You can't just say, "Hey, that fight happened, and therefore he's gone." All right, there was a you disappointed. You didn't necessarily look like you fit in and did all the things that you promised you were going to do. Bye-bye. Mike Leach can say some of those same exact things, right? Like, it's, that's not crazy. And remember, in case you haven't processed that in your brain from when we brought it up, what, 25 minutes ago, those contracts in the state of Mississippi, four-year max. Leach did not get an extension last year, so he's under contract through 2023. Does he really coach with just two seasons left on his deal? Or does John Cohen double down, give him an extension after this year, even if Leach is only five and seven? All I know is that 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 question, that conversation, it just it gets a lot easier if Mississippi State can just get to six wins. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is about like the state of Mississippi and like sliding door moments, but like, how about that Memphis call, huh? Big time, <laughs> big time game in terms of that six win mark. And look. Mississippi State got screwed. <laughs> they got absolutely screwed in that game. And they didn't help themselves with a few of the, the decisions that they made in that game. I know the, the non-outrage from Leach was a big pop, was a popular topic of conversation among Mississippi State fans. But that, that game could have major, major short and long-term impacts in Starkville. That's, yeah. I mean, you could also kind of like roast them for almost losing to La Tech. So you could argue they probably should have lost to La Tech and then, you know, could, should have beaten Memphis and it wouldn't matter, sure. you know, football gods or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, man, that one specific play is probably yeah. going to keep them out of a bowl game. That's rough. One would think that this weekend, though, Mississippi State should roll against Vandy, though Vandy did just go on the road and put together a 50-minute stretch of not allowing a point to South Carolina. So, oh, yeah. Clark Lee's defense figuring some things out here. I don't know the full status of Will Rogers other than he's day-to-day with an AC joint sprain. I am pretty sure that his arm could be amputated and Leach would still dial up 60 passing plays. Probably, right? I mean, I watched those two plays back. The Christian Harris sack in which Rogers was holding his shoulder before he even got up. It was bad. It was like, this is immediate pain. And then the play where Jordan Battle just dropped the hammer on him going into the end zone on the pick six. 
I've often thought about how fun it would be to be an air raid quarterback in Mike Leach's offense. Well, I'm sure you've thought about that many a time. Oh, yes. Just get out there, sling it 50, 60 times a game. This would be great. Um, Maybe this Saturday will be. That'll that'll be one of those days. Who knows who the starting quarterback is going to be. Ken Seals was... He's out with a hand injury. They are going to Mike Wright to start in this game again, which I think actually bodes better for Vandy. I'm going to take Vandy to cover but lose. Mississippi State wins this game 34-17. That was a lot of thoughts on two teams that are not very relevant right now. All right, South Carolina. Texas A&M. Texas A&M is a 20.5-point favorite. The over-under I have is 200 Zeb Nolan passing yards. Buddy. (laughs) <laughs> Here we are. Zeb Nolan, South <laughs> Carolina starter. Luke Doty, out for the year. <sighs> Just as everyone predicted. How much of that was really Shane Beamer saying, look, Zeb's, Zeb's the guy. We need Luke to get right. Yeah, probably. Um, I'll, 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 I'll kind of leave that to, to the head coach and say that he's going to know that decision better than I would. The optics of it, probably not great. And there are a lot of South Carolina fans frustrated that Luke Doty was maybe brought back too soon and that he was forced into that situation. Whatever the case, I think the kid wanted to play football. I mm-hmm. think that he didn't do it to the level that he thought he was capable of. Whatever the case, Zeb Nolan is the guy now. I guess it's pretty fitting that we compared this whole thing to Stetson Bennett early in the year because like Stetson Bennett, Nolan is back. And this, the problem though for him is that this is a major mismatch up front. One of the biggest individual mismatches of the year in SEC play. DeMarvin Leal, Michael Clemens, hopefully Jaden Peavy is back in this one. Whatever the case, even if it's just Leal and Clemens, they should absolutely feast on this South Carolina offensive line. It's bad. It's real bad. Clemens has been playing his tail off, and I haven't been giving that guy enough love. I thought he was a force against Bama. He had this play against Mizzou where they tried to dial up a screen, and he had that play diagnosed in the film room, and it was ugly. Leal, this is the thing that that amazes me about him. He has played an average of 75 snaps the last three weeks. His PFF grades are going to be down a bit because if you're out there for that that long, longer sample size, more to grade you on. You're mm-hmm. probably having some of these plays where, yeah, like maybe you're a little bit gassed, you're a little bit tired, it's not gonna look perfectly great. But the guy's number two right now in FBS among edge defenders with 442 snaps played. Josh Pascal is the next closest in the SEC. He's 44 behind that. Why do I bring that up? Because I see, I think the South Carolina offensive line in this game is gonna be like, man, can we just get a break? And I don't think they will. <laughs> I don't think Texas A&M operates that way with the way that Mike Elko likes to use those guys up front. They're daring you to take those points for South Carolina. But I think A&M gets short fields. I don't think they have to do a whole lot with Zach Calzada. Among SEC backs with 60 carries, the leaders in yards per carry, Devon Aching, Isaiah Spiller. Again, that's backs with 60 carries. So that cancels out Jarko's Hunter, the Auburn back, who's been a revelation in year one. Might be a good idea to give him 20 carries apiece, Jimbo. Maybe. Just throwing that out there. Maybe don't have Zach Calzada throw the ball 35 times. Just, just maybe. You know? Um, I, just, <laughs> but that's I, why I we love him, Connor. You know, it's the Zach Calzada show or bust. Right? I think this is more of like a 35-7 to 7 type of game. A&M covers in this one. You know, I have been an absolute menace to the uh, progress of this podcast today. And I'm just going to continue that trend. Do you know what Zeb is short for, Connor? Oh gosh, I knew, I, when you tell me, I'm gonna know exactly what it is. 
Zabulia. <laughs> His stock just went up in my eyes. Again, menace, but this is Pumpkin Patch Saturday. We're learning stuff today. I assume like Zebediah or something? No, no, Zabulia, Noland. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to dig into the archives and, and find out some more information about the roots of Zabulia. It sounds like something from Coming to America. It sounds like that would be one of his friends. Anyway. It's, it sounds like a made-up made name, like a superhero movie or something. Yes. Anyway, back to you. Yeah, weird. Anyway, all right, let's go on into Tennessee, Alabama. Because Bama's a 24-and-a-half-point favorite. That line's probably changing by the time, uh, by the time kickoff rolls around on Saturday. The over-under I have, three-and-a-half mentions of cigars. We're going to get the whole montage, all the different Bama players who have smoked cigars after beating Tennessee third Saturday in October, which Alabama has done that 14 consecutive years in case you have somehow lost count. <laughs> I saw that initial spread and I was like, really? What? That many, that many points? And I, I think it opened at Alabama minus 27 and a half or something. And then I remembered that Tennessee did not get out of that Ole Miss game healthy at all, especially on the offensive I mean, side of the ball. I don't think anyone did. Nobody did. There were no survivors. <laughs> it was, yeah. Except Lane. Think, Lane's the only survivor of that. He got hit with like a golf ball. Like, I don't think fans got out of there. Okay. That was a tough True. seed. Kate and Cooper Mays both banged up in that game. Tyon Evans missed that game. Most importantly, though, Hendon Hooker went down late with a knee injury. I know there's been some speculation that it's serious. Josh Heupel called it day to day. We'll kind of wait and see. All I know is if Joe Milton is Tennessee's starting quarterback... <laughs> You could give me 40 points with Tennessee. Still wouldn't do it. Couldn't do it. In a weird way, I actually hope Hendon Hooker doesn't have to face Will Anderson so that he can be healthy long-term and not go behind an offensive line that could be without both of the Mays brothers. This is a, a long-term investment in my entertainment because if Hendon Hooker goes out there and gets hurt against Alabama, that means a whole lot of Joel Milton. And I don't like that. Not one bit. Can't have that. Well, can't I can't have that on my TV for three and a half hours. Why won't the universe let our son Hendon Hooker be great? You know, we, we keyed it on him early, we're right about it, and then just the universe has been like, no, no, you're right, but doesn't matter. Remember Harrison Bailey? Boy. He is a thing. <laughs> that was... hasn't played. He's, he hasn't played in any game except Tennessee Tech. That's it. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember a time in which we could watch Tennessee fans freak out over a 15-second clip of him throwing in practice, and those were the days. Man, it's too bad. He got, we said, must champed, right? Yep. Pruitted. <laughs> it's over. Once one of these guys gets their grips on you, one of these defensive head coaches, it's over with, buddy. Is Harrison Bailey going to be named in the lawsuit that Jeremy Pruitt has against the University of Tennessee? <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. I've said it. I'm going to leave that one alone. We'll, we'll move on for that. I would love to see more of Harrison Bailey in this football game because I think it gets lopsided. And I really don't like the idea of Tennessee falling behind against this Bama defense after watching the way that Will Anderson and company responded against Mississippi State. Will, I I'm going to still, I'm going to double down on my preseason prediction. Do you remember what the preseason prediction was? Oh, God. What was it, Cotter? Uh, but it's it's got the Joe Milton caveat. In it. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah. that's that's always part of it, right? <laughs> we need that asterisk in there in perpetuity. The preseason prediction was Tennessee would have its best offensive game against Alabama since 2003. You heard that and you're like, "Whoa, you are really high on Josh Heupel." The number to beat is 21 points. 
Yep, I do remember this. Yep. So, okay, so let's say that by some miracle, Harrison Bailey starts. Is the bet still on, or is it just, is it a Hinden Hooker special? It's, it is a Joe Milton special. If exactly. Joe Milton, if Joe Milton is the starting quarterback, <laughs> all bets are off. Okay. We cannot do that. And look, I, I, I hope the best for Joe Milton. I know we've had some fun with this. I think Joe Milton's going to be able to, to, to have himself a very nice life and someone is going to continue to take a chance on his abilities and he's going to be compensated well for what he brings to the table with a cannon arm that just simply can't locate anybody. Harrison Bailey should probably be the starter for this one. Let's let's at least hope, maybe. We'll, we'll kind of wait and see on that one. But I'm going to say that Tennessee is going to get to 24 points because of a late touchdown in this one. And I'm gonna say that Alabama wins 52 to 24. Does that sound good? Yeah, I mean, I, I like in a weird way, like I feel bad for this Tennessee team and it's hard to do after last weekend to be honest, but like I, I still feel like, I'm not gonna necessarily say I was wrong about Josh Heupel, but I think this offense has taken a lot of steps that were kind of a year ahead of what I expected. And Alabama has been a little bit better than we expected this year, but you know, still shown a couple of flaws. Not that it will really matter against Tennessee. I, I am rooting for a high-scoring game just because this Heupel offense, as we've talked about with the speed, gets gets bad if they start getting off the field. So hopefully they don't have Joe Milton just out there standing statuesque while Will Anderson just chases him. Uh, that sounds uh. like. Like a horrible football game. I hope anything but that happens. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I hope they can mix up the playbook, not, you know, not get into those ruts. Because once you get into those ruts against Alabama, they'll be three steps ahead of you before you know what hits you. So, yeah, I, I just, I, I hope that they can build on something from this year to go into hopefully competing next year. I'll give Hendon Hooker my, my leg. He can, he can just have it for the weekend. He can rent it out. Once, once I finish my Saturday morning run, then he can have my leg. My legs are useless after that. We'll, we'll set that up. Although my knees aren't the best. Isn't so, he like 6'3"? That's going to be the strangest <laughs> Better than nothing, man. <laughs> He's going to be cocking back so, on a, like a small leg. It's just launching. Take what you can get at this point. Lock of the week. Bounce back last week with Oklahoma. We're at 5-3 and three now, so we're making money. Caleb Williams, thank you very much for that. Let's go. I'm going to go with a line that is so weird that I just can't lay off it. Iowa State is a seven-point favorite at home against number eight Oklahoma State. Iowa State unranked. Oklahoma State undefeated. Cyclones, as we said earlier, they're not going to have that historic year, but they still do have Reese Hall and Brock, Brock Purdy, and that combination is still one of the better one-two punches in the country. Oklahoma State is now a defensive-focused team. They're actually pretty good defending the run. But in Ames, top 10 team, this is exactly the type of game that Matt Campbell goes out and wins. And this is exactly the type of game that the Big 12 looks like everybody just beats up on each other. And it shows all of its parity. Oklahoma is 6-0 with all six wins by 11 points or less. Jeez. They are due for a letdown. Big time due for a letdown. The odds makers, they have already snuffed this out. They're telling you, they're daring you to look at that line and go, wow, Oklahoma State's undefeated. I should take those seven points. No, uh, uh, uh. I'm going to listen. I'm going to defer to them. I'm going to say that they are smarter than I am. They have bigger brains than I do. And I'm going to take Iowa State to cover a touchdown spread as a favorite. So give me Iowa State minus seven as lock of the week. You know, 
That okay, that's interesting. And you know, we don't really talk enough about as a society about yeah, Oklahoma State's kind of like a defensive football team now. Over the last like couple of years, like they've kind of gone yeah. from like these teams that we all saw forever and ever and ever to like now they're like this weird like almost like early Gary Patterson team. They're they're interesting. Yeah, like I didn't really sat down and thought about that. That's a good point. Mike Gundy evolving on the field and off the field, perhaps some people are saying. We'll just move right off of that one. <laughs> You just keep teeing me up to be offensive today, and I'm not going to do it, Connor. I'm <laughs> off that. This is Matt Hayes with Saturday Down South, and I want to tell you about a new podcast we're launching. Saturday Lives Forever is dedicated to the iconic players and moments of college football. Those unforgettable moments where you remember where you were when you watched it. Subscribe now and make sure you don't miss an episode. Search for Saturday Lives Forever in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're obsessed like us with college football and can't get enough of reliving fall Saturdays, you're going to love this new show. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash rest of season predictions. Maybe this is your chance to call your shot. Anybody listening at home, anybody who is in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, you could end up like Adam Stockton. You can come on the pod, we'll have some fun talking about your team, talking about your prediction. Adam is already on record saying Kentucky is going 11-1. and We made the deal with him. If Kentucky does go 11-1, and he gets to come back on the pod to talk about another bold and brash prediction. Speaking of that, because we're discussing the Sugar Bowl with that, that was a topic that came up of like which bowl would Kentucky be in if they won 11-1. That would still very much be on the table for an 11-1 Kentucky team going to that New Year's Six Bowl game. The playoff semifinal games this year are the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, and they're both on New Year's Eve. So they're going all 2015 on us again. I'm sure that'll be received really, really well. That means... Peach, Fiesta, Rose, Sugar Bowl are the non-playoff New Year's Six Bowls. I'm hopefully going to be there for at least two bowl games this year, maybe three. Got to get to the Peach Bowl on December 30th and then the Citrus Bowl on New Year's Day. I always end up getting prematurely excited about the bowl schedule. And I can't just look up the date and time with one game because I always need to map out my entire day. You know me, I'm a planner. I like to figure things out (laughs) months in advance and what it's going to look like. But anyways, rest of season predictions. They are fun. Will, um, do you have any? Like maybe Ed Odron's last game as LSU's head coach is going to be in Memphis or Shreveport, something like that? As you were talking about bowl season, I was like, yeah, it's, it's depressing thinking about bowl season and we're like kind of past the halfway point or whatever. And then you re- reminded me that LSU is going to go to a terrible bowl game. I don't even have that to look forward to. That's, uh, that's great. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> I, right. Okay, to, to, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm intrigued with the rest of the season. I think, like, I'm, I've been wrong everywhere, so it's hard to really, it's hard to really say. I, now that I've talked myself into it, I really hope Oklahoma loses and gets left out because they don't deserve it this year. Anyway, I see you're handling this well right now. I Just can see fun. it in your face. Having a great Just day. Just having fun. Yep, it's all free roll from here on out for LSU. <laughs> Let's get to this Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. A lot of great responses here. People love Bolton Brash. They love making these predictions. And we're, we're going to probably have to bring up some of the ones that have hit from earlier in the season as well, in addition to one that Adam had. 
Um, this one from Matthew Gordon, speaking of bold and brash Kentucky-related predictions. Matthew says, Kentucky wins the rest of their SEC schedule and makes the college football playoff. That might be a little bit difficult coming from the East, though. That's That'd be the tough part, because what would their marquee wins be? Florida win not holding up particularly well right now. You would hope... Mm, Nah, the LSU win, probably not holding up very well. That'd be a tough argument. It'd be a tough argument, but I, I'm not ruling out the idea of Kentucky going 11-1. Getting past Tennessee is going to be difficult, too. That's the one that I know a lot of Kentucky fans are worried about because of Tennessee essentially owning Kentucky for, the, I think, what, basically the Stoops era. I don't remember what the record is off the top of my head, but... I mean, Kentucky we have no idea. Like, Tennessee's kind of at this point now where it wouldn't totally shock me if as like, attrition started building up and they started losing more and more guys if they kind of backslid, which is tough because it's, it's not ability-based. Yeah. Andrew Diacomo says, oh, well, you'll like this one. He says, LSU goes undefeated the rest of the way. The whole <laughs> win out for Coach O cliche. Oh, man, that is like what my dreams look like. But to see that if, they, if they went out, then they're going to be... Cajuns talking about, oh, we shouldn't have fired Coach O, and he might lead some type of a coup. So I, <laughs> I hope that that doesn't happen, honestly, because, hey, I was hoping they would lose to Florida. I don't even know what to hope for anymore. <laughs> it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Yes, it would, because it would mean beating Alabama. Okay, never mind. Winning out, not going to happen. Can't it wouldn't even be the craziest thing, honestly, to happen under Coach O, because they lost to Troy, and they also beat Florida twice in a row. <laughs> If this, if this LSU team beats Alabama, that'd be crazier than losing to Troy. Man. I think it would. You know what? Yeah, I guess yeah. that was a good Troy team. No disrespect to Troy. All the disrespect to Troy. Anyway. <laughs> Neil Brown had, had things figured out. They, they reshaped their entire game plan. They were like, hey, we're an air raid team. Now we're not. How mm-hmm. do you like that, LSU? Drew Page. <laughs> Drew says, Vandy wins three out of its last five and upsets Tennessee and Neyland and Ole Miss on the road. Vandy fans feeling good. I drew, I don't know if is Drew a Vandy fan? I don't know. I think he's a Kentucky fan. I think. We had a lot of Kentucky fans in the Saturday on South Podcast Facebook group. Vandy, to its credit, surprised a lot of people with what they did against South Carolina. Now, in terms of winning multiple SEC games, uh, not quite getting there yet. There were a lot of Mizzou fans that really came after me for predicting in the preseason that Vandy would beat Mizzou. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Who I feel really good about now? that. Yeah. Michael Wright's, Michael Wright's going to have himself a day against that Mizzou defense. We're going to put that put that one down. But uh, competing with Tennessee, competing with Ole Miss, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. Better days are ahead for Clark Lee. Don't think they're necessarily coming this year. Could you say at that point they would have earned their jerseys, though? Absolutely. They had these jerseys last week where the names on the back were in white and they were so faded that I, I had to think to myself, wait, is this Clark is this Clark Lee doing another jersey thing right now? Like their jerseys are gonna appear in magic marker over the course of the game with the more As they start to they sweat, make. their names yeah. appear. And that's how you know you're working hard. <laughs> anyway. You can't make this stuff up. All right, Emery says, the dog's performance against Florida won't make me drink an entire bottle of bourbon this year. Now, I agree with that 100%. Because if Georgia wins by 21, that's not going to be considered that crazy of a thing. 
Emory's not going to feel the need to celebrate in the same sort of way because Florida's also having a down year. Now, if Florida pulls a rabbit out of its hat and decides to make this season 2007 all over again, hmm, yeah, that could happen. But I don't think it will. Emory, I think your liver's going to be safe. Listen, this is America. You're ungovernable. It's up to you how much you drink. On game day, you know what I'm saying? For sure. You could you could have a great a game a great game day and down two. You could have a terrible one and be sober. Hey, that's your rising American. Good point. Speaking of that game, Michael Spencer Bilby says Emory starts in Jacksonville. I'm gonna be there in Jacksonville in what what is that like nine days? <laughs> I I have not experienced a cocktail party before, and I am so fired up for it. It's gonna be awesome. There may be no more like anti-Conor O'Gara environment in the world than Jacksonville, Florida. I can't exactly explain that, but I can. I've been to Jacksonville a lot. There are lots of things going on in Jacksonville. Just just make sure you know where you're going. This is the best way I can explain Jacksonville to you. It's going to take every ounce of me not to go all Jason from the good place and just shout, Bortles, everywhere I go. I will not. <laughs> I will not be that guy. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. If Emory starts in Jacksonville, man... The anti-Mullen crowd will grow louder and louder and louder. And I wouldn't rule it out. He already said that both quarterbacks are going to play in Jacksonville. I think he's right. Why he's not willing to start Anthony Richardson at this point? Don't know, man. Don't know. Stubbornness. It's a powerful drug. All right, let's go to this one from Matthew Sadro. I like this one. Cincinnati will be the only undefeated team in the country heading into bowl season, but they will still be the number four seed in the college football playoff. I think that kind of makes some sense. Now, the tough part is you're saying Georgia's going to lose. And even if I were picking Georgia-Alabama SEC Championship today, I think Georgia's got a significant advantage. Maybe that'll change in a few weeks. But again, that's just if we're picking today and I'm looking at that Georgia defensive line against Alabama's offensive line. And while I think that Stetson Bennett has won me over... I think that that would still be a game in which Georgia would also be able to run the football and they could go a little bit throwback because we've seen Alabama struggle in some of those situations. A little bit different when you're facing the air raid offense that Mike Leach runs and you just don't care about running the football. So that would be why I'd say that Georgia would have a significant advantage. But man, if everybody loses, <laughs> if just Cincinnati is the only undefeated team, how crazy would that be, man? That would Listen. be, well, that'd be 2017, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with UCF, except for, like, they're in pole position to actually get in, whereas, like, UCF just I never could. Yeah, it's because everybody in 2017 had a loss in the playoff field, right? Because Clemson lost in the regular season, Alabama did, Georgia did, Oklahoma and then Oklahoma the did as well. Yep. And Oklahoma did as well. So, yeah, all of them lost. So, maybe 2017 all over again. Could be. Listen, this is your source for American Commerce football news, and uh, the only hard game that uh, since he still has on the schedule is a solid SMU team. Uh, UCF was in the preseason supposed to be a good game, but obviously, um, obviously Dylan Gabriel got hurt, and they got trounced last yeah, weekend. That was under like undercovered how badly they lost that game. But again, backup quarterback, what can you do? Well, not give up fifty six points anyway. So maybe, maybe, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you're right about the Georgia thing. That's pretty much. I, I think that since he has, that's the great thing about that SMU game. It's the, it's the. Uh, second to last week before the conference championship game. Like, if there's a game between them. So, like, that's going to give them just enough of a boost to where people start kind of getting like, oh, well, they're not playing anybody. They're blowing all these teams out. They'll play a ranked team. And hopefully they'll get in, man. I'm, I'm ready to see it. You know what I'm saying? That that um, bowl game they had with Georgia was awesome last year. And that was, I mean, Daniel played in that game. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see it. 
I am too. And I think we are going to get it because I think they're on the table. McKaylin Crabtree. So McKaylin had a little context here. She had AM winning the SEC championship going into this year. That was, this was a preseason bold and brash that she had. So mm-hmm. this latest bold and brash from McKaylin, she says AM wins out the rest of their schedule and Bama loses another to another game and AM wins the West to face Georgia in the SEC championship. But she's saying that she would pick Georgia over the Aggies. So still doubling down on AM. Man, what a weird year. What a weird, weird year it's been in College Station. It took me um, a few moments to realize doing some of the preview stuff for that game against South Carolina. Wait a minute. AM is a win away from being back in the top 15. <laughs> like, just as we all predicted a few weeks ago, right? I listen, there there are like lots of coaches that make me happy, but the Jimbo thing with like losing to Leach and then also beating Saban is so tremendous. I wanna say McKaylin's an Alabama fan. And so Correct. Yeah, like that think listen, this is not Bama fatigue. This is an unbiased source. And yeah, it I is? mean I, I think that that would obviously be the cheap scenario for Georgia because that's the one game that you see creeping up on Georgia. Uh yeah, but no, I mean it wouldn't shock me, man, if like I mean, if we saw the Calzada Renaissance, and then is Haynes King still coming back? Do they even need him anymore? That's What's a going great on? Question. That? I mean, they they need him because <laughs> Zach Calzada outside of that Alabama game has not been very good. People forget not. though, Calzada undefeated against Alabama. So true. All other A&M quarterbacks winless. Defeated. True. Defeated fully. Matt Coleman says one SEC team makes the playoffs. Uh, I'd say that's pretty standard at this point, but maybe it's not because. If you're of the belief that Alabama is going to beat Georgia in the SEC championship, that would still open the door for two SEC teams to make the playoff. But that's outside of that Ole Miss scenario that I laid out for you. There are not a whole lot of other two-team scenarios for the SEC just yet. Hunter Raglan says Alabama doesn't win the West. I think because they lose the LSU. See, this is all the conspiracy, the Kyrie conspiracy lining up here about Alabama. What a take. That would essentially t- mean Auburn runs the table. Or, yeah, I mean, Auburn runs the table. Auburn would have to beat AM, or I guess AM runs the table, and then Auburn beats Alabama. Yeah, there, there are ways in which it could technically happen, of course. I don't think this is 2010 all over again. I just don't. I kind of looked at that at that team, and you can kind of look back at some of the flaws. As talented as they were, they had some issues in the trenches that maybe maybe you could say the same exact thing about this year's offensive line. But I still kind of think that this team has a different sort of gear to it, and they're going to figure things out, and they're not necessarily going to have multiple regular season losses. But we'll see. Um, all right, a couple more here. Let's do this one. <laughs> Um, let's do this one from Joe Morrison. Joe says, Gators start AR-15 from here on out and go undefeated the rest of the season. So Florida would be like 2020 Georgia. That's what it would be all over again. Because it'd be like JT Daniels comes in and then all of a sudden they finish on a tear and you're like, man, what would they do if they had just started in the whole year? And then the buzz going into the offseason would be totally different. See, if you're Dan Mullen, that's why you got to make this move. That's why you got to do it. Dan Mullen tricky old man. He just ran it around. <laughs> it's baffling. I really hope Anthony Richardson is a starter in a couple of weeks. With all due respect to Emory Jones, who I've praised for the way that he has handled a difficult situation. Did you see they're both doing the Outback ad? Did you see that? They both no. got a Bloomin' Onion sitting right there. Shout out Cole Kubelik. They both just had this massive Bloomin' Onion 
sitting at the table because they're mates. You get it? Australian. Oh my God. I got sent a press release about that and I'm looking at this thing going, of all the times to release that, why now? That was like the instant click press release. You see like the oh, flyer yeah. with every Jones and you're like, oh my God, I could write a column on this. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to this one from Owen Odie Duke Jr. What a name. Great name. Son, have you considered playing for the University of Georgia? That's a, that is a Georgia name right there. Absolutely. Owen says, Auburn becomes the first two-loss team in the CFP. This is a 2021 Bold and Brash prediction, not a 2017 Bold and Brash prediction. Okay. Auburn would have a case if they won out because they could get to the SEC championship. They would still have to beat Alabama and Georgia. I don't think Auburn has that upside, but that's why it's Bold and Brash. Remember our one rule. Never doubt Auburn, and I was proven right about that at least once this year. Good point. Speaking of 2017 things, Zanarian Ferguson says Auburn wins out, gets blasted by UGA in the SEC Championship. Yep, that would be 2017 all over again, except Georgia wouldn't be avenging the loss to Auburn in the SEC Championship. But still, similar vibes to that. Um, let's do this. All right, there's a lot of people really, really saying every... <laughs> Every possible way in which Bama can lose the West. It's not just us, folks. People are just rooting for chaos. Don't don't well, shoot the messenger here. Dallas John said, everyone took mine but War Eagle. <laughs> That's essentially the message. <laughs> so one with this one from Connor Kitchings. Connor says, and it's two N's and an O, so Connor Kitchings is spelling his name correctly. Good for you. The winner of the Auburn Ole Miss game will win the SEC West. So that game be played on Halloween weekend in a couple weeks. I hope Matt Corral is back at 100% for that one. You'd still need some stuff to happen though. So that would be, so I guess that's kind of a two-part prediction because then you're predicting, you're, you're predicting another Alabama loss. I guess that's basically saying Auburn could win out. But if you're saying Ole Miss is going to win that game, then you would still need the other part of that, of that whole deal it's for the path to open. See what I'm saying? This is too much math for me, man. Yeah. We just do a bold right. bash take where someone gets fired. I'm scared. Yeah. We'll get into that really soon. Maybe maybe that's the next bold bash that we got to do. Uh, coach hot seat season. We'll, we'll go national since the probably the lone firing in the SEC has already happened. At least I think. I don't know. We'll wait and see about that. But it's a firing and a hiring, mind you. Because exactly. they fired Coach O, hired interim Coach O. Good point. If you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. Go subscribe. Go subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to College Football Uncensored. And Saturday lives forever wherever you get your podcast. Appreciate all the feedback that we got from the reunion pod. It's really fun to be able to do that. We're going to have some plans for some future stuff that we're going to do in the offseason. Marlon and I with some adjustment more games. And we'll make sure that everybody is well aware of that. I'm sure there will be a Step Brothers video or, or something like that. Marlon will dial up something. Join the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast on Facebook. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.